If this is your first time with us at Celebrate Church, you need to know that we've been in a series called Heart for the House. Uh, today's the end of that message series, and it'll be the finale message. Um, I'm going to talk to you about what that really means and what it looks like. Uh, we do this once a year where we focus what we call a giving initiative, where we focus on what's important, what we believe God has led us to do here in the church. Uh, last year, we were able to successfully build a playground put fencing out there, and we're so excited and so thankful for your generosity that did that. And this year, we are developing a new ministry that we haven't had here in the church for more than seven years. It's a next-gen ministry for teens. So we are really excited to be blessing our teenagers. Um, as a small church, we have a small budget, and so when we develop something new, we need help to do it. And so that's really what the Lord directed us to do this year. Uh, we've seen God do some incredible things already in our teenagers' lives, and we're so thankful for your generosity already, uh, because I know that you've already given, and I know that you're praying regularly that God will bless you to be able to fulfill your faith promise. We'll talk a little bit about faith promises um, later on in the service today, and I'll tell you that there are some in the seat backs as well. If you haven't gotten a chance to fill out one, basically it gives you some options for three weeks, three months, six weeks, six months. You can even make your own and say 12 months, or you could write one time and then just drop it in the giving box. We'd love to get that pledge card, that faith promise card, so that we can gauge what the Lord has done. I am blown away by what God has always done through the generosity of people whose hearts are turned toward him. The world can give money to charity and they can buy a painting at an auction and they can do all that stuff. But I'm telling you, there is something golden and priceless about what the people of God can do when they put their heads, their hearts, and their pockets together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, the year is 2018, but I'm going to tell you a story that starts in 1945. The year was 1945 and World War II was still raging. There were thousands of teenagers who wanted to fight. The Battle of Iwo Jima was one of the deadliest. We're told that more than 6,800, 6,800 of our military American soldiers are buried on that tiny island. It was one of the deadliest. And many of them, to your surprise, if you don't know this, are actually teenagers. Jack Lucas was one of those teenagers uh, that fought there. He's not buried there, but he fought there. He fast-talked his way into the Marines at the age of 14. Say that number. Say 14. Think about what you were doing when you were 14. But he, he fooled the recruits into believing that he was older than he was because of his physique and that sort of stuff. Then he stows away on a transport out of Honolulu. He survives on food that's passed around to him by sympathetic guys who are there going, all right, you're ready for the fight. You're going with us. Okay, here's some macaroni and cheese or whatever they had. At 17 years old, he lands... He lands on D-Day at Iwo Jima, but because he is stowed away on this transport ship, he's not been given proper equipment. He lands on the shores that day without a rifle in hand. By God's providence, he believes, he spots one on the beach and he grabs it. He fights his way inland with a group of soldiers. Now on the following day, so D-Day plus one, Jack and three of his comrades were crawling through a trench and eight Japanese soldiers sprang on them. He was able to defend himself 
Several of them passed away. None of our soldiers in that moment passed away. But then his rifle jammed. And in this struggle, as he struggles with it, a grenade comes towards him and towards his buddies. He yells a warning to the others. He rams the grenade into the dirt. And another one comes and he scoops it and puts it and throws his body on top of those two grenades. 17 years old. And he remembers thinking, Jack, you're going to die. This is it. Turns out he endures 21 reconstructive surgeries. He survives. The doctors on the ship, as fate would have it, named the Samaritan. Uh, The doctors on the ship could not believe that he survived the blasts. He became the nation's youngest Medal of Honor winner and the only high school freshman to ever receive it. This is an incredible story of of valor about a guy who did all he could in the defense of something that he thought was important. Here's why I tell you that story, because I believe with all of my heart that teenagers have some great potential. Every human, God creates us with potential and kids are awesome and kids are fun and they've got potential. We've all got potential. Even if you're a single mother, a grandmother, a grandfather, whatever it is, you're still living out according to your potential. But in these formidable years of teen life, there's so much to capitalize on and there's got to be a firm foundation of faith that's laid for those who are in that stage of life or else we might just miss them. We might just lose them. So they have unlimited potential, I believe, and I believe God would, would have us to understand that too. In fact, Frederick Douglass says, it's easier to build strong children and young people than to repair broken men. And I believe that with all of my heart. And, and I, I know that you do too because you've got your children or your grandchildren here in our church in a thriving ministry. And I just want to see that expand. I believe that God has directed us to expand that to include. So we kind of, we missed the mark just because we were waiting on the timing of God. We did kids and we got college. But then we were like, how do we do this in the middle? And God has just developed something incredible. If I could share with you, I I hope it's not your first Sunday here, but I'm just going to be vulnerable and transparent with you. Pastor Cameron and I, last year, understanding the finances of the church and the, the progress of the church, decided that we would make a sacrifice. He and I decided to sacrifice, and many of you sacrificed with us. We forgo, forwent, I should say, a large portion of our salaries, and we still are doing that. We're living on less than we normally would have last year as a result of God's strategy helping us to have wisdom to move forward. I say that to say I'm so thankful because in the middle of making a decision like that, which was a real challenge and still is, I thought, God, what are you doing? And God brought a job opportunity for me to work at Clinton Christian Academy, essentially for the exact amount of money that I sacrificed here for my salary. God's got a plan, y'all. And because of that sacrifice, and I don't say that to pat myself on the back, I'm thankful that you have sacrificed too. And Pastor Cameron and Becca have sacrificed too. In those moments though, we've got to understand our financial sacrifice leads to open doors of opportunity that we would never have had had we kept it all to ourselves. 
And we don't know that sometimes when we're making that decision. But God's got a plan. So as a result of working there at the school, as a result of Amy's continued ministry at the school for several years already, God started opening up the door for us to have some teenagers show up to church who just thought, hey, let's check this out. And as we developed that, it got stronger and stronger. And now we've got two full-time youth leaders uh, that are here with us, not full-time paid, but they are working full-time every week to make sure uh, to to have a a service plan, have fun activities. They're developing uh, an idea for sponsorships for teens to get to camp. We're doing stuff we never did before simply because we decided to go with a little bit less than we had. So... The teens of this generation are much like Jack. He fought a physical war, but this generation is fighting a spiritual battle. We all are, in fact. But teens these days, with the ideas of modern technology, the access that they have towards uh, unsavory things on the internet, um, the idea of social media pressures, the things that pull them in, that cause them to compare themselves as they scroll that screen to see, they've got to have a biblical foundation that God loves them, that he cares about them, that he has a plan for them, so that we don't lose them. Not because we hope someday they'll become tithers, but because we know that God's kingdom wants to grow. He wants his kingdom to grow. I love it because I look back here on this back row at Jericho Bell. I'll never forget coming into the building for the first time more than five years ago. And there were plaques and some different things stacked up. And I remembered, I still have it. And she might have a copy herself, but I still have a little thing that showed that she was going to a missions trip. It showed as a teenager, she was already developing that idea. Now we're sad to say goodbye because the Lord has been working for years, developing a plan in her and Eric's life to put them on the mission field full time. God did that as a teen. God did something special for me as a teenager. He may have done it for you too. And I just want to provide, and I believe God wants to provide that same opportunity to the children and the teens that we have. They face things like addiction and substance abuse and depression and comparison and all of that stuff that we, it's a pressurized environment that we have no concept of if we're older than that. And it's times have changed and we need to reach them. So that's really what Heart for the House is all about. Today, the title of my message is The Principle of Treasure. This is going to be much like the other messages. It's not just based on the idea of giving money for a pledge and that kind of thing. It's based on the idea of something that you can use and see in scripture for your own life and then apply it in other places. But this principle of treasure that we'll talk about today is a biblical principle that I really believe should guide us in everything that we do. You know, when we give our tithe, we talk about this frequently and we say when we give our 10%, it's not so much about the 10% to the dollar and the cent and all of that stuff, as much as it is about the heart behind it in putting God first. That's the principle of first. He should be first in your day, first in your relationships, first in your pocket or your pocketbook or your wallet or whatever it may be. In the same idea of the principle of first is the principle of treasure. So I have two points this morning and I'll give them to you right now. (laughs) Write them down, take a note in your phone. You're going to need this later. The treasure of the kingdom and the treasure of the heart. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13. 
Matthew chapter 13, Jesus makes several statements. If you know what a parable is, it's basically a story that had a meaning to them then, but it also has a deeper spiritual significance. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to read a single verse, and that's verse 44. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Stop there and look at me for just a second. Jesus is giving these parables and he continues to give these phrases, just those first four or five words. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he continues to give them, he's giving them word pictures so that they would develop an understanding of what it really is like. So he says here, it's like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. It'd be really sad if he just covered it up and left. But the verse says here, then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So there's this traditional understanding of the parable that says that the kingdom is the treasure and that when we find it, we give up everything to gain it. There's been this idea that we've used throughout Christendom that helps us to to think that way. But I think there are three things that are wrong with that interpretation. It is not that the kingdom is the treasure and that when we find it, we give up everything to gain it. The reason is because you can't find it. You can't find the kingdom of God by yourself all alone. The next is you can't hide it. And the last thing is, is you can't buy it. If the treasure here represents the kingdom, you need to know that you can't find it. You need to know, if you haven't realized already, that God is the one who found you. The Bible tells us that He, we love him because he first loved us. I love that phrase that we use all the time. It's a biblical one. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He chose us before we were choosable, if that's a word. Even with Adam and Eve, they're not the ones who went and sought him. I actually don't know even in the good days if they're the ones that sought him. But in the moment of their sin and their temptation, God comes and he seeks them out. Jesus' words to his disciples and the crowds that heard him speak was, I have come to seek and to save the lost to bring them into the fold, to bring them into the family of God. So here's the point. We cannot find the kingdom on our own. The second is we can't hide it. It's too big. The Bible does talk about us having this little light of mine. And you can hide your light for a little while, but you can't hide the kingdom of God. There's no way to do that. You definitely can't buy it, even if it were for sale. Simon the sorcerer, He's traveling with the disciples after Jesus' ministry, and he comes to them and he says, whoa, you guys are doing some really cool tricks. How much money does it cost for you to teach me how to do that? He, he wants to put a price tag on it and say, hey, I want this trick in my show. And he's told, no, you can't purchase this because God wants to do a work in your heart. Amen. So listen again to this verse. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So this parable is not uh, talking about how we can attain the kingdom of God ourselves or do enough or give enough. It's not about that at all. Let me tell you what it really is all about. The field is the world. It's everyone in the world. 
Jesus looking out at the crowds at some point in his ministry. He says the field is ripe for harvest, but the laborers are few. There's, there's not enough workers to bring in all the crops. He's calling people the crop. So we've got to understand it in that way that it ends up being the field, the world. The man who's in this story is Jesus. It says a man found it and covered it up. The man is Jesus because Jesus, the son of God, became a man and gave everything, everything up for you in order to buy you. And here's the most significant truth in this 25 words. The treasure is you. You are the treasure that he is after. You, you, you and I, everyone in this world is the treasure that he seeks. And we believe during our Heart for the House series that teenagers are the treasure we need more of. We got to get more of. So we're doing what we can right now to put our treasure, amen, in the right place to be able to help see that treasure build. First Corinthians 6 verse 20 says this, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You were paid for by God. So this is not a parable about us doing things to obtain the kingdom. It's about Jesus doing everything to obtain you. He did something unimaginable to get you. And I love that old song. I don't know. I guess I'm in an old mood this morning. Um, I love that old song that Jesus paid a debt I could not pay. I owed a debt. There was never any hope of me paying. But Christ himself has paid that debt. So Jesus found us. In Exodus 6 and Deuteronomy 7, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to highlight this thought. In those two places, you can find this exact phrase. God is speaking to the Israelites in that moment, but it applies to the kingdom of God at large in our day. And he says this, you are a special treasure to me. He actually says that phrase several times throughout scripture. I love the thought of that, that you are a treasured item in the house of God and in the the kingdom of God. So we've got to remember that people are the kingdom and that he's already paid the price for everyone. The Bible says that he has reconciled the world to himself, not counting their sins against him. He hasn't counted our sins against us. His payment was enough. There's nothing else needed except for our obedience. So it's up to each one of us to choose to accept his free gift. It's been said that you can determine the value of anything by what someone is willing to pay for it. I think there are some things that people think are valuable that I think are stupid. (laughs) You do too. That's why you're laughing and giggling because you're like, you paid how much for that? We, we have that idea in our minds that the value of something really and truly is set by what someone's willing to pay for it. I was reading a story about Barry Bonds. I don't know if you're familiar, but he's a professional uh, baseball player. He was a left fielder. He played on two different teams. He holds right now the record for most home runs at 762 during his career. Babe Ruth hit over 700, but then Barry Bonds surpassed him. There's another couple guys. There's a top three or top four that are way up there, higher than you could ever imagine. How many of you have ever hit a home run? 
Okay, all right, so Barry Bonds, though, was playing, and in this special game as part of the World Series, he's about to hit his 756th. He goes on to make a few more, obviously, if you do the math, but in this moment, he hits a home run, and it goes soaring out into the stadium. A young college student, his name Matt Murphy, that day caught it. There was a huge collapse of people and everybody who loves baseball shows up with a, with a mitt so they can catch a ball on the off chance that it comes in their direction. And so he's at the bottom of the pile, but he's secured the ball. He later sells it for three quarters of a million dollars, over $750,000. Because somebody was willing to pay that for a ball, the same ball that you played with in your backyard that maybe cost a dollar when you were a kid is the same sort of ball he's playing with, but because he hit it with his bat in a historical moment, the value just soared and went straight up. I think about movie memorabilia or art or jewelry or like artifacts, historical artifacts, things like that, that people are willing to pay for a piece of pottery that's 2,000 or 4,000 years old, something crazy and exorbitant in the mouth. So I, I think to myself, though, what is a human worth? What are you worth? If we're to believe the Bible as God's word, truly and and completely as it is, then we've got to understand that the highest price ever paid for something is the life of someone else for that person. And in our case, we understand that Christ died for us. He paid that price because you're the treasure that he was willing to pay for. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We hear the words and we talk about them during Easter of those moments in the garden of Gethsemane where he's praying so profusely, his body is aching under the weight of this stress and this pressure. And he prays out this desperate prayer. God, let if there's any other way, do it. But if not, let your will be done. Not my will, but yours be done. When you value something, you'll look for it. Anybody ever found money that wasn't yours and you got to keep it? You know, like it was just somewhere in a parking lot or whatever. My brother, oh man, he would aggravate me to death. We went to a carnival one time and he's just walking through tons of people around. He looks down, there's a $50 bill. Like, and when we were like teens, we were like $50. We've never seen $50. Like, this is crazy. He would not split it with me. Um, I was with him, but he would not split it with me. But it, it was a value to him. And after that moment, you know what he did? Everywhere he went, <laughs> he was looking down and looking around to see if, if by chance he might be able to pick something up because he was looking for that thing that he values. God was looking for you and for most of us, if not all of us in this room today gathered together. He's found us and he values us. People are the treasure of the kingdom. So the reason that we do heart for the house faith promises is because we're looking for that same treasure that Jesus went after and people are that treasure. We pray in our pray first time together, 945 to 1015. 
you can come. <laughs> Anybody can come. It's not special for just certain people. If you would like to, it's an awesome time for us to pray together, kind of prepare your heart before the service. God has spoken words during Pray First into the hearts of people who've been here before the service ever started. It's, it's incredible. So I say that to say during our Pray First rally every Sunday morning at 945, we have some slides on the screen just as reminders of things to pray for, things that we should be thinking about and thinking through. And we talked this morning about our responsibility to help God answer the prayer, right? We've got a, uh, we've got a stake in it. So if I pray according to the, the prayers that show up on the screen, if I pray this thought, Lord, let us be a light in our city, I've got to know my little light has to shine in my little portion of the city, right? I've got a responsibility and a stake in it. So we've got to think that same way when it comes to this treasure of teenagers. They are the treasure of the kingdom. And I really believe it's been said pretty much in every generation that they are the future, but they really are. They are our future. They're the future people and leaders of our communities. They're the future moms and dads. They're the future leaders of organizations and businesses. They are the future of our world. And wouldn't you want us to put as much faith, hope, and love inside of them as we can possibly get? Here's number two, the treasure of the heart. Matthew chapter six, if you'll go there with me, we'll also have the verse on the screen for you. Matthew chapter six, verse 19 to 21 says this. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20 says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If you were raised in church, you might've heard a song that I remember, which my wife could sing much better than I. But it involved, it was like a little kitty song, and some of you will start giggling when you hear the, the lyrics of it. But it says, oh, you can't get to heaven. Thank you, Mike. I knew you would get there. All right. Um, you can't get to heaven in roller skates. You can't get to heaven in, in a rocking chair. You can't get to heaven with a Cadillac. Like there's, there's no U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take it with you. That's the, that's the whole point. Okay. Um, so he, here's what it's saying though. It says this, that we can store up, listen to me, church, for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. There's no thieves up there. There's no pestilence. There's no rust that could destroy whatever it is that you set up there. So what is it that you can put up there except for something that has an eternal value, which is nothing here on this earth except for the human sitting next to you? Verse 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to think about this and leave that up for just a second because it's been often misquoted where people have said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And I know that we pull on the heartstrings of compassion. You've seen the children on TV. You've seen the PETA commercial or, you know, not P-I-T. Okay, never mind. Anyway, with the ki- the dogs and the cats. Okay, something about like adopt an animal, that sort of stuff. It's pulling on your heartstrings. Maybe you're like me and you just like, you know, mute it at that point because you're like, okay, I'm done with this. 
but they're trying to get at your heart. And what, what many people have believed is that where your heart is, that's where you'll put your treasure. But Jesus is not saying that. He is saying where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As believers, we've got to understand this, that your heart follows your treasure. I have never cared about anything Chevy Tahoe related until I bought a Chevy Tahoe. I put some treasure in it, y'all. I need your help, okay? I put some treasure in it, and now my heart is there. I have an unlimited car wash plan. I've never had one before, but I'm going to make sure it's clean. Do you get my point? I started Googling, and do you say Amazoning? Whatever. I started online shopping to say, oh, what cool new thing I could add to it. Oh, let me get a new cup holder. Oh, and I'm all of a sudden, I'm interested in this thing because my treasure is put in it. It's the same thing with a first-time parent. (laughs) Everything changes. You're like calling the electrician to get the electrical boxes moved up 10 foot because you're like, I don't want my kid electrocuted. You just, you have this thing because your treasure is there. That's where then your heart goes. So your heart follows your treasure. Let me say it this way. If you want your heart to be in the kingdom of God, and you should as a believer then you've got to put your treasure there because your heart will always follow your treasure. Um, I am not a veteran pastor. I've been in ministry for, this is my 18th year in ministry, but there are many who have been way longer in ministry than I have. In my time though, in several different churches, I've understood this to be true. The people who are easy to lose are the ones who don't invest I just want you to understand, it's the people who are not invested, and I'm not talking about time and talent, I'm talking about money. It's the people who don't that then say, hey, you know what, something bad happened, I'm going to fly the coop, go somewhere else. Because there's no attachment, because their heart's not there, because their treasure's not there. So, if you want your heart to be in the kingdom, you've got to put your treasure there. We've always been blown away at the generosity of God's people And I have too, over these last two weeks, I've looked at the faith promise cards that have been turned in, and I am astounded at the faith that you have um, to, to just see what God has done. But if you have never, if you have not this year, I should say, filled out a faith promise card, they're in the seat backs this morning. And what I'd like to do is just take a second here and give you some instruction. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to take out a card. And if you haven't filled one out, I challenge you, do something, anything, do something as a result of putting your treasure, put your, put your treasure where you know God wants it, which is in his kingdom to do his work. This is over and above your tithe, okay? We call it a faith promise because you're not just looking at your budget and saying, yeah, sure, honey, I think we can give 20 bucks. But you're actually doing more than that. You're saying, yeah, I think we give 20 bucks. God, what would you have us give? God may say 20. He may say 25. He may stretch you and say, you should write 100, It might be a one-time gift because you got your taxes back or something like that, and that's okay too. However you do it, put your treasure in the kingdom because the kingdom is ever-expanding, amen? God gave me a passage of scripture yesterday as I was going back through my notes, and I wanna share it with you today. I believe it's the basis for everything that we do when it comes to giving here at Celebrate Church. 
The passage is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll have the verses on the screen for you. Verse 6, it says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So what it's saying there, if you're not familiar with the sowing and reaping, I think we all have the idea, but sowing would be planting the seed. So whoever plants sparingly, or you could actually say stingy, will also reap small. Just because what you put in is what you get out. But more so if you put it in the hands of God. And it says, and whoever sows bountifully, or another word to read would be generously, will also harvest generously. Verse 7 says this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Look at these words, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think if I could speak for you, I know for me, there have been times where I have given reluctantly and under compulsion or under some sort of guilt. But God says in this passage, you should give what you've decided in your heart and not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And God, verse 8 is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all, read the word supply, having all sufficiency or supply in, say the word all, all things, and when? At all times. You may abound in every good work. We jump to verse 10. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. If you read that too fast, you won't get it. If we as believers would truly understand in the depth of our spirit that he is the God of all supply, we would see the miracle that happens when it says he'll multiply your seed. So when I put it in God's hand, God can do, here's the deal. God has never been defeated and he's never been undercut. He's always over the top. When he was given fish and bread, he gave more and he had more left over because it was put in the hands of God. So he multiplied the seed. I thought to myself in the, in this passage of scripture, you know, when you put one seed in the ground, you don't just get one fruit, right? You get more than one fruit. You have multiple fruit that come onto that plant that grows up. If you make it healthy and water it and nurture it and get it sunlight and all that stuff that it's needed, you do some maintenance and God does all the rest. He says, I will perform a miracle and multiply your seed. We're better together. That's really what that means. Verse 11, I love this. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. The stories I tell you of God's faithfulness in my life, the stories that you can tell others about God's faithfulness in your life, overflow in thanksgiving to God, where people's faith just get a boost and a charge, going, wow, God did that for Mandy? I know he can do it for me in my situation. I know that with God, all things are possible to those who believe. 
Malachi chapter three. There's a, a section of scripture that's talked about with tithes and offering. You can read it later. It basically says that, that the people of God have been robbing God. And they reply and say, how have we robbed you? And he says, through tithes and offerings. Then he gives this amazing promise. And he says that if you will test me in this and see, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that you can't contain. And he says something powerful. I will rebuke the devourer of your seed. That's the power of putting it in God's hands. He says there's a devourer waiting to peck those seeds out and get them out of your life. He's willing and ready and able and super powerful to pluck out everything that God is trying to do. He is working to undo all the time. And God says, if you test and try me in this thing, then I promise you, I'll put my word behind it. I'll rebuke the devourer. I will cast him out and he will not be able to get at you. Don't you want that power? Man, that's good. He supplies the seed and he multiplies it. So I want each of you every every week, every time that you give, whether that's once a month or according to your paychecks, twice a, a month or whatever it is, every time you give here in the church, I want you and God wants you to give what you've decided in your heart to give and to not give reluctantly. We never want people to give reluctantly because God loves a cheerful giver. Remember the parable A man found this treasure and it says for joy, he bought that field. And that's the way we ought to give. Would you go ahead and pull out, if you haven't yet, pull out a heart for the house faith promise card that's in the seat back. I'd love for you to do that right now. Today, what you'll do is if you fill that out, Drop it into the offering box, the giving box that's there on the wall on your way out the door. And next week, we are going to have a dance party. (laughs) We're going to celebrate all that God has chosen to do by telling you what the total amount pledged is. And I'm telling you something from the depth of my heart. God keeps his promise. So if you feel in your heart that God's spirit spoke to you to do something, he is going to help you. Make sure, excuse me, that you are supplied for. The truth is we can do more with the 90 than we can with 100 when we give God back what's his. And when we go above and beyond that, we're testing the limits of our faith. That's really what it's all about. We're testing those limits. So I want to encourage you to do that. Here's another thing that's really, really worked for Amy and I. We've set up our online giving to be recurring so that I don't have to worry about remembering. So like our tithes do that automatically. When I get paid, they go in and they just go out automatically. It just, it streamlines my life. It makes it easy. So I don't ever see that and I don't ever have to stop it or change it. I just let it happen. And God continues to do something incredible. You can do your heart for the house pledge by going online and setting that same thing up for you. If you say, I've chosen to give $5 a week for the next three weeks, then you can set that up online and it'll go out every Monday, every Saturday, whatever day you pick to be able to simplify it. But I want you to stand with me today. And I want you to remember this very significant part of the, this whole message. We've talked about teenagers and we know that they, they face some struggles today in this day and age. But here's the deal. I know you've got some struggles yourself, whether you're a teenager or not. But you've got to remember this, that you are God's treasure. 
And we do give our treasure to the kingdom because we want to please God and we want to see his kingdom grow. But if you understand that this morning, that you're God's treasure and you say, but you know, pastor, I don't really feel like that these days. I've got something of a health crisis in my life or I've got a financial need or I've got something else going on in a friendship or at work. God wants to meet you here today and help you. He wants to give you grace. He wants to pour into your life patience and peace. So when we're valuable to God, when we understand our value to God, we'll reach out to him in every moment that we need him. I want you to take just a moment, and we do this every week here at our church. I want you to close your eyes, if you would, and just have this private moment. And you don't have to say these words out loud, but it's just a simple prayer that you can put on your heart. And it is, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message today? When I was praying this morning, I felt the urge and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I need to be sharing my faith more consistently. And that, that's something that the Lord's been putting on my heart recently, and I'm trying to work towards that. I'm continuing to practice it. So whatever it is the Lord speaks to you today, I just want you to obey that thing. But we wanna pray for you, no matter what it is that you're facing. Don't be embarrassed. Just when they start to sing this song, slip out to one of our prayer stations here on the walls where the little tables are. We'd love to pray for you for whatever need it is that you face. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would draw every person in this place that needs prayer for any reason, that you would draw them today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.